We live in a world that doesn't always understand grief, but we do. We see you, we hear you, and we're here to talk about grief in the most real of ways, because we have lived with it too. In this podcast, we'll look at ways to integrate grief into a life that is fulfilling and meaningful for you. There'll be no platitudes or silver linings, but there may be the occasional F-bomb. I'm coach John Polo, and my person died. I'm coach Carolyn Gower, and my person died too. Welcome everybody to episode 35 of the podcast. Today's episode is entitled Questions We Get Asked A Lot. And what we're going to be doing today is taking a look at some of the questions that Carolyn and I get asked on a regular basis, and we're going to be answering them for you here today. That's right. Oh, my God, my voice is still croaky. Yes, we're both feeling a little bit under the weather, but we come here to do the podcast for our listeners, even when we're sick, don't we, Carolyn? We do. We show up. We're a All good right, pair. So bear with our voices, everybody. <laughs> I'll just keep drinking my green tea and hopefully it gets a bit better. There you go. Yeah, John. So we do get asked a lot of these same questions all the time from clients and great friends. So we thought we might address some of those today. So the first one we're looking at, well, it's kind of two things. So it's how long does grief last and will I be this sad forever? And well, the thing is that we all know that grief is kind of a forever thing. It does not have an expiry date. And I guess that's something that I hadn't really thought about until Tony died. But I also know that my grief for Tony was born from my love for him. So I've arrived at a place where I no longer see grief as being a completely negative thing. Now, grief is unique to each of us. It is continually evolving and changing as we learn ways to integrate into our lives. And for me personally, I think my grief really evolved once I accepted that it was something that was always going to be with me in some way. And I gave myself permission to not only fully grieve, but to live fully as well. Because as we know, John, it is possible to do both. Yeah, look, we've talked about it on this podcast before. I'm a big believer that after a truly profound loss, grief never fully ends. There's not going to be a day where I wake up and I just never feel grief ever again, right? That's not how this works. But as I've said a million times, and I will say a million more, grief changes. It evolves. It continues to look different over time. If I look at my grief when Michelle was sick, and dying versus, you know, three months after she passed, eight months after she passed, a year after she passed, four years after she passed, and now as we approach seven years, it constantly changes. It constantly looks different. And I think that's important to remember for a lot of reasons. First of all, a lot of people do look for that finish line, right? Like they're just supposed to be done with it. But as I've talked about before, we miss them as we go, let alone the next day. It feels very permanent. It feels like this is exactly how I'm going to feel for the rest of my days. And that's why, Carolyn, it's so important that people 
no, yes, in some form, grief is going to walk with you for the rest of your days. You know, I might not feel grief for a couple of weeks now, but then boom, something will happen and I'll have a little bit of a grief wave, right? But it is constantly changing and evolving. And if somebody had told you or had somebody had told me two months out when we were on the floor sobbing so hard we could not get up, that years down the road, we would have found our smile again, we would be helping other people, we would have found our laugh again, we would be living life again, we would not have believed them. I mean, I certainly wouldn't have. Would you have? No way. And look, we're not downplaying this by any means. The excruciating pain of the early days of grief is unbearable to the point that you just don't know if you'll be able to live with it for the rest of your life or if you even have the ability to enjoy life ever again. From my own personal experience and as well as that of clients and and grief friends, I can tell you that you won't feel like this forever. And if you're still in the throes of early grief right now, as you're listening to this, I completely understand that this may feel impossible for you to believe just now. And we get it. Both John and I have been there and we clearly remember what it's like. It's so fucking hard and I never want to go through that again. But I remember seeing people who were further along than me and they were able to live again. And even though I wasn't yet ready to believe it, it helped me to trust that there was hope for a better life ahead for me too. And now five and a half years out, I like to think that I'm giving that hope to others, that they too can get through this and rebuild a life that once again feels fulfilling to them. And, you know, the last thing I want to say about this before we go to the next question is, and I think I've said it on this podcast before, I can't remember. I know I've talked about it, you know, with clients and in speeches and stuff a bazillion times, is if you're listening to this podcast and you know you're years out and you're thinking but i'm still in a tremendous amount of pain first of all you lost somebody that you love with all your heart again you're going to feel grief you're going to feel their absence you're going to feel pain that's normal even if you're years out but what i have just continued to see in all the coaching i've ever done with every widowed person i've ever met is that once you get a little bit far out now whether it's you know 18 months four years it's different for everyone but once you get some distance between the actual passing and where you're at now the intensity of your grief more often than not will walk hand in hand with what your life looks like now and i kind of hesitate to say that because it's not me putting pressure on people saying oh my god you have to have this great life or you're going to feel that intense grief forever that's not what i'm saying but if you're four years out and you kind of like your life again right even through the, the void and the pain and the hell that you walked you have rebuilt and you found your smile again and there's things in your life you like and you have some hope you're still going to have that grief, but it's going to be more of that chronic ache. It's going to be more of that, you know, oh, Joey, I miss you so much. I wish you were here. If you're four years out and you absolutely hate your life, it's going to be more of that intense grief, more of that, why the fuck did you leave me? How am I supposed to do this without you? 
And that's why it becomes so important at a certain point that we make ourselves a priority, that we realize we matter, and that when we start to rebuild, we do so based on what's best for us and not for anybody else. That's right, John. And I think that's something that we could talk about all day on this podcast. But moving along to the next question, why do I feel so guilty when I'm having a good time or smiling? Well, look, we feel guilty for a lot of reasons when we're grieving. And if you haven't yet listened to our episode on guilt, I suggest that you go back and and give it a listen because it is worth it. But we feel guilty because our person should be here with us. They should be enjoying life and smiling too. We feel guilty because something terrible has happened in our life. Our loved one died. So we start telling ourselves a story that we have no right to be happy. We feel guilty because we know that other people might be judging our every move. And if they see us smiling, they might think that we either didn't really care about our person or that we're over our grief. But the thing is, we do all have the right to enjoy life. We all have the right to smile, even after what we've been through. No, I'm, I'm going to change that, especially after what we've been through. Do you agree, John? Yes, I love that you changed that, especially after what we've been through. It, I, 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 is it my turn? Because you know I'm going to go on a rant here. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm leaving it open to you. I'm going to rest my voice a little bit. All right, you rest your voice. Look, I'm going to make my response to this one somewhat short. I know that's hard to imagine for John Polo because I like to rant a lot, okay? One of my favorite quotes ever, so yes, I have some of my quotes are my favorite quotes, (laughs) is I know my deceased spouse understands my pain but roots for my joy. I'm never going to tell a client, a friend, anybody, oh, they would want to see you happy. I think that that is really an unhelpful statement to people because again, like it puts too much pressure on them. Oh, you got to be happy. Like, you know, Joey's above and he would want you to be happy. Okay. That's, that's not helping anybody if I'm being honest, but the truth is, as I see it, and I'll just speak about myself and my late wife, Michelle, for a moment, when I say I believe she understands my pain, but roots for my joy. I don't think she's up there when I'm having a bad day judging me. I don't think she was up there when I was, you know, sobbing on the floor, wanting to die for so long, disappointed in me. I don't, I just don't believe that. This human existence is very hard. If you have a quote unquote normal life, add in some of the shit we've all been through, add in losing your person and this human existence can be beyond difficult right to put it mildly so i don't think she was ever disappointed in me i don't think she was ever judging me during my deepest pain but i think she always rooted for me to find peace to find my laugh again to find my smile to find joy and i would probably feel guilty if i didn't find my smile again and enjoy life We just don't want you to deprive yourself of those smiles in their name. That's certainly not what they would want for any of us. Absolutely agree with you, Carolyn. 
So the next question we want to tackle is from people who find love again and are surprised because society thinks that they are no longer entitled to grieve their deceased person. So, you know, perhaps a widowed person has lost boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, spouse. They start dating at some point afterwards. They find love again. And now society thinks they can't grieve their late spouse anymore. They're in love again. Carolyn, I have so much to say on this one. I'll keep it short, but I'm going to turn it over to you first. Is your voice good again? Can you give us an answer here? <laughs> I think I can give you an answer, John. Right. Um, yeah, like you, I could speak a lot into this one, but um, I'm going to keep it a bit shorter to save my voice because I know that you have plenty to say as well. Number one is no human life is replaceable. And that's oh, where I, I, I have to stop you because in the project that you and I are working on, I'll just say the project. I don't know if we're not announcing anything on this episode. You, you have that written in the project that we're working on. It's the first time I've seen it phrased like that. And I absolutely love it. I've never said it. It's the first time I read it when you wrote it. It's so fucking true. I will give you the floor back now. <laughs> Well, it is. And thank you, John. I think it is. That's why I wrote it. Um, and it's something I felt just needs to be said straight to the point that people don't realise, you know, that they don't realise that's what they're saying, that you can replace a human life. So I put it out there, no human life is replaceable. And that's whether it is your spouse or partner, um, whether it is a child that you've lost, a sibling, no human life is replaceable. And look, if we're talking about a romantic relationship, so a spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, whatever it is, what I usually say to clients is I liken it to when you have children. So your heart is big enough to love more than one person. So for those of you that are parents, you know, when you have your first child, you think, oh, wow, you know, I don't know that I've ever loved someone as much as I love this baby. Your heart is so full of love. But then if you do happen to have another child, you love them just as much. It's not that one has more love than the other. You love them just as much. Even if you go on and have three, four, five, six children, you have plenty of love in your heart for each of them. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that if your partner has died, and you then get into another relationship, of course you're always going to love your partner that died, but there is room in your heart to find lots of love for your new relationship as well. They're different. They're different relationships. They're different people, and we have so much love to give. On that note, my vo my voice is sort of running out here, John, so I'm going to hand it over to you to do a good old John Polo rant. All right, I'm going to keep it short. I'm tired and I'm not feeling good either. First of all, if anybody needs like a lot more insight into this topic, we have an entire episode about um, kind of like finding a new partner, right? And we'll do more episodes on that in the future. And also my third book is on dating. Carolyn and I both coach this one-on-one, -on -one. but I'm going to give you guys a short answer here. So again, it goes back to not being mean, but being honest society as a whole is very grief illiterate. 
And I have seen this with my very own eyes, with clients, with myself, with friends. For those of us who did lose our person romantically, and we start dating again, and we find love again, society thinks you're good to go. Well, you're good to go. You're good to go, right? You are good to go. That's not how this works. As Carolyn said, I think I'm going to mess up how you said it, but you said no human life is replaceable. Is that what you said? That's what I said. (laughs) Okay, right. No human life is replaceable. I've been, you know, out in the dating world for a while, met Allie, am happy with Allie. We're building a future together. That does not in any way, shape, or form diminish the love that I had and still have for Michelle. Go to my social media, watch my cup video. It'll make perfect sense, okay? It does not in any way, shape, or form make up for Michelle's death, for the absence of that amazing human who I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. It does not do any of that stuff. Furthermore, when you do find somebody, if you fall in love, not only you know the fear and the guilt and all the shit that I talk about all the time, but beyond that, you can experience a new form of grief that you did not even know existed. So let's just do a hypothetical here. Uh, let's say a 42-year-old woman loses her husband, and she's out in the dating world a couple years later, and four years later, she meets someone special. In that four years since her husband passed, as unpredictable as grief can be, she kind of got to know her grief a little bit, right? Not fully, because grief is constantly changing and evolving, but she got to know her grief a little bit. She didn't like the motherfucker, but she knew. She knew him, right? She knew the grief. Think about the clusterfuck of emotions and thoughts that I have as I'm building a life with somebody when my time with Michelle got cut so short. Think about the clusterfuck of emotions and thoughts a 74-year-old woman is having as she begins to fall for someone new after 50 years with her husband. So finding love again can be a beautiful, beautiful thing. But if you have people in your circle or society as a whole that think you are just good to go now, I need you to know in a world that's going to invalidate your pain, I need you to know that you may start experiencing some new forms of grief and that that is perfectly okay. And John, that kind of leads into something else that I know we both hear from clients as well. So it's that a widowed person is worried that if they do fall in love again, that their new partner could die too. And unfortunately, that is one of those things that we have no control over in life. Falling in love is one of the most vulnerable things that we'll ever do in our lifetime. We enter into a new relationship not knowing if they're the one, how long the relationship will last, what they're really like as a person, you know, it could be what type of parent they'll be, will they remain faithful, how they handle bad situations and so on and so on. We are being asked to put a lot of trust in them and that's before we even think about, well, are they going to die and leave me too? It's a risk we have to decide whether it's worth taking. But here's the thing, that risk could bring a life that is happier than you ever thought possible. 
Now, for me personally, after my first husband cheated on me and our marriage ended, I had big trust issues and I chose to stay away from relationships for a long time. So when I did meet Tony and fell hard for him, it was really fucking scary. And to be honest, I almost self-sabotaged the relationship. But once I did let it happen naturally, I experienced just how amazing a good relationship can be. And despite how it ended, if I hadn't taken that risk, I would have missed out on so much. And when Tony died, so many people would ask me, if I'd known he was going to die, would I still have gone into the relationship? And the answer is a million times yes. How about you, John? I'm sure you've been asked that question too. That's actually one of my go-to questions when I have a client in this type of situation. So we never actually talked about this. I don't know if you agree with me. I'll say what I think and then you can tell me if you do. I'm never, ever, ever going to tell a human, you got to go for it, right? Like it doesn't matter. Like just drop your fear of becoming widowed twice. You got to go for it. That's not my job. My job is to talk it through with them, to show them, you know, the options they have, you know, what life will look like depending on what option they take, walk through the inner issues, what's holding them back. Do they want to look at the fear and proceed? They ultimately have to make this decision because it's one of the most personal decisions you can make. And we both have clients that have been widowed twice, right? Of course, it's a fear of mine. One of the ways that I work through my own fear and something I'll ask clients or, you know, I ask in my workshops is if you could do it all over again with your person, would you? And I have not had one person yet say to me, no, love is the most beautiful shit ever. (laughs) It just is like human love, whether we're talking about romantic love, you know, love of your children, it is the most beautiful shit ever. And if we try to protect ourselves because you know i don't want to fall in love again because what if they die which obviously is a very real fear right but if you try to protect yourself from that type of pain what you are inevitably doing is causing a different type of pain right you're causing a different type of pain because that's what you really want deep deep down inside that's what you really want but you won't even allow yourself to go for it you won't even allow yourself to pursue it so to prevent yourself from one type of pain that could possibly happen in the future you're creating a different type of pain in your actual present moment yeah look i totally agree with all of that john our next thing that we hear quite a bit is why do i feel so alone even when I'm in a room full of people. And look, anyone that has experienced grief does know how lonely it can feel. We're thrust into a world that we didn't want. And usually every little thing in our life has changed. But meanwhile, everyone around us continues on with their normal day-to-day life as if nothing has happened. And the thing is, the person that we really want to be there with us by our side isn't. So we haven't got that support that we would normally have, that comfort of having them by our side. And as we've talked about on here before, a lot of people don't know how to treat us in our pain. So they don't know what to say. So it might be that 
people are avoiding us a little bit or avoiding those awkward conversations. And as we know, it becomes a real elephant in the room. Yeah, absolutely. Look, the truth is we live in a couple's world. We just do. We live in a couple's world. That's just how it is, right? And if you went from being a part of a couple and then your person died and now you're not a part of a couple, that alone can make you feel more lonely, even in a crowded room. I said before on this podcast, walking the earth with Michelle was the greatest walk I've ever walked. I was so proud to have her as my wife. I was so proud that she chose me to be her husband. Once she passed, it was the loneliest walk I've ever walked on this earth. And I could talk about this for days and days, but I'm gonna keep it short because my voice is starting to go here as well, Carolyn. <laughs> We're a hot mess today, <laughs> both of us. Oh, fuck. Two weeks ago, my stomach was growling. I had a client text me that she couldn't stop laughing after my stomach was growling. Today, we can't talk. Okay, <laughs> regrouping here. There's also that feeling of, you know, being the third wheel or being the fifth wheel, right? And as you said, maybe more importantly than anything else, the person you want there isn't there. And sometimes it is that feeling of the elephant in the room. Other times, as I've talked about before on this podcast, you feel more lonely perhaps because people don't know your story. I know this was true for me for a very long time. Again, having Michelle's hand, I walked with such pride. People then not knowing my story and just looking at me, oh, that you know, young guy must be single or must be divorced. There's nothing wrong with that, but it wasn't my truth. And nobody knowing my truth made me feel even more alone. And John, that does kind of lead into the next thing we hear quite a bit. And that is, my friends seem to be getting sick of me being sad. Should I hide my grief from them? Well, unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately for them, people don't understand grief unless they've experienced it. So they're completely naive to the fact that you can carry grief for the rest of your life. As grievers, we kind of subconsciously work out who we feel comfortable talking to about our grief and who we don't. Some friends are good to do things with socially, but can be just really shit at grief support. And as I've said before, you don't have to share your innermost feelings with everyone. So you may have that one or two close friends who you do feel comfortable sharing with, or it could be your grief coach or counsellor or a grief community. The main point is that you're not hiding your grief from everyone and therefore avoiding it. So there are times when you might feel that you need to kind of put that bit of a mask on when you're around certain people, and that's okay. But just as long as you're not avoiding your grief altogether. Yeah, you know, I think that there's a difference, and this didn't like click with me until a couple of weeks ago, but I think there's a difference between putting on a brave face and hiding yourself. Do you know what I'm saying? Like going to a, you know, a holiday meal with your family and putting on a little bit of a brave face, to me, that's different than pretending like you are somebody you're not, or, or knowing in your head, I can't show any sadness because these people aren't going to accept me or they're going to judge me. Does that make sense? 
Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It does. We've talked about it before on this podcast. I know who I can be honest with about my pain, about the trauma, about my hopes, about my dreams, about all of it. I know who I can be honest with about that and who I want to open up with about that. And I also know the people in my life that I can't go down that road with or that have proven to me I shouldn't go down that road with. More time with the people I can be completely authentic with and a little less time, (laughs) to put it mildly, with the people I can't be completely authentic with. But as you said, Carolyn, and I think it's a really important point, I have friends in my life who I know I'm not going to talk about grief with. And it's not even necessarily because, oh, you know, they're going to think I'm sad, whatever. It's because they don't fucking get it. And they're likely to look at me like I have three heads or say something really fucking stupid. But I can still have a relationship with that person because I choose. And it's okay if you choose not to. But because I choose to go meet them for breakfast once a month or to go get a drink with them on occasion. So it's really about empowering yourself, again, to grieve your own way, to rebuild your own way, and to spend time with who you want to spend time with and to distance yourself from everyone else. But if you have friends that are making you feel bad because the worst thing ever happened in your life and you're fucking sad, you do need to pull back at some point and evaluate whether these are people that you really want to have in your life as you move forward. Well said, Johnny Poo. That's so, so important. So what do we have next? What do we have next? I don't know. I zoned out. I'm not feeling good. (laughs) What do we have next? (laughs) So the next question we get a lot is about younger children. And the questions we see regarding younger children many times are, you know, they don't really seem to be grieving or they don't want to talk about their deceased parent. Their grief seems different than mine. Is this normal? So Carolyn, I'm going to give my voice a little bit of a break here. Go ahead and start us off with what you think about this question. My general comment that I will tell people is if they're old enough to love, they're old enough to grieve. And if we're talking about young children, so say children under the age of five, they don't yet understand the permanence of death. So what we find is that they'll often ask the same questions over and over again. Questions about where they are, when will they be back, what happened. And this repetitiveness can be really quite hard on the surviving parent. And young kids will usually grieve in small bursts. So they could be sad one minute and asking all these questions. And the next minute they'll be running around in the yard playing as normal. Yeah, Carolyn, everything you said, absolutely spot on. I want to go back to the initial stages of this episode when we talked about grief changing and evolving. Well, if it changes and evolves for adults, it's sure as heck going to change and evolve for young children as well. And as they get older, as they grow, as they start to even build their own life, you're going to see their grief present itself in fundamentally different ways. This is a really delicate thing I'm about to say, and I hesitate to say it on a podcast when I'm not working with someone directly, but 
if you have young children who are asking you, you know, about daddy, about mommy, where they're at, etc. I do think very generally speaking, every situation is different, but very generally speaking, I do think being direct with them is usually the best way. Daddy died. Mommy died. Carolyn, would you agree with that? That, you know, that direct and even as absolutely heartbreaking as it is, even that next step of daddy's not coming back home. I think sadly, that's what you probably have to do. Would you agree with that? I do totally agree, John. As hard as it sounds and as harsh as it sounds, we do need to be so open and honest with our little loves when they're grieving. So, um, you know, no using euphemisms that daddy's gone away and things like that. Because you are, as their solo surviving parent, you're their role model. You're teaching them how to grieve and how to get through this hard time in their life. But it's also important to remember to keep it really simple. Don't make it too confusing to them. Just basic points, really simple in short bursts. And just as our grief changes over time, their grief will change too. And as they become older and have a a better understanding of what the loss of their parent actually means in their life, they will have different questions. I agree. I do want to say something, though. For those who believe in an afterlife, for those who are religious or spiritual, whatever, I want to be clear. Carolyn and I are not saying to not lean into that. If you believe in an afterlife, if you believe that, you know, mommy or daddy is in heaven, et cetera, that, I'm not going to speak for you, Carolyn, you can give me your thoughts after to make sure I'm accurate, that we believe you should lean into. We just also believe that, like Carolyn said, daddy went away, that type of thing is usually not the best. Being direct with them about the fact that their parent died and is not coming back in the physical form, as heartbreaking as it is, is usually the best path forward. 100% John. And I mean, there's, you know, the afterlife, there's continuing bonds and rituals and ways of honoring your person. There's so much that we could get into there, as we well know. So the next thing we hear a lot is that grieving people are told by their friends that they're stuck in grief because it's been, whether it's been, you know, six months or a year or five years, and they're still grieving. So they end up asking us as coaches, is this true? Am I stuck in grief? I'm going to hand this one over to you, John, to lead with. So I'll be honest, I hate the word stuck. I think if somebody wants to use it for themselves, right, I feel stuck, I think that's fine. That's fine. But for somebody to use that word for you, you seem stuck. I absolutely hate that. That's first thing. Second thing, people only see the end result. They don't see the effort made. So you can be making a ton of effort to pick yourself back up off the ground. You can be making a ton of effort to start anew, to try to rebuild, to get to a better tomorrow. And perhaps 
the progress is not coming as quickly as you thought it would or as you wanted it to. It's so important that you make sure you are giving yourself credit for your progress, even if the result is not there yet, that you are recognizing your effort, even if you are not yet where you want to be. For those that really do feel stuck, and again, it's not some asshole putting that word on you, but you feel stuck, seek support, coaches, social workers, therapists, grief groups. There are ways to get you going one step forward. Sometimes when I feel stuck, and again, that's my word and not necessarily about grief, but let's just say I feel stuck. I'm in a point in my career where I'm like, ah, I'm not really doing what I should be doing, or I'm not really going where I want to go. I will literally stand in my living room. Like I'm stuck in mud, like both feet are stuck in mud. And I will take the left foot and I will step it forward. And I will think to myself, what is one thing I can do today to start getting rid of this feeling of being stuck one step forward in the right direction? And if you feel stuck, you can start to work your way through that. And then this is the last thing I'm going to say. And then I'm going to turn it over to you, Carolyn, to end the episode. People who tell you that you're stuck usually don't know what the fuck they're talking about when it comes to grief. And if you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but this person does know what they're talking about because they also lost their spouse. They also lost their child. They do know what they're talking about. They know their loss. They know their grief. They know what happened to their life after the worst thing ever happened to their life. That doesn't mean they know your loss or your grief or what happened to your life or how hard you have fought to get back up or how hard you are fighting to rebuild. Make sure you not only are empowering yourself to grieve your own way and to live your own way and to rebuild your own way, but also empowering yourself enough to see your own effort and your own progress. I totally agree, John. And in fact, you've pretty much just said everything that I was going to say. See, the people that tell someone they're stuck in grief are usually doing so out of ignorance. They don't know what they don't know. Sometimes they might even think that the griever just needs a bit of tough love to get them unstuck. But as you said, John, there are some cases where the person saying this has also experienced a loss. And one that comes to mind is a client of mine. Now, my client's mother-in-law was also a widow. But being of the older generation where you just don't talk about your feelings and pretty much are told just to, like, put on your big girl panties and get on with it, her grief experience looked totally different to her daughter-in-law's. So my client was actually doing all the right things. Not only was she having coaching to process her grief, but she had a good self-care routine, was spending time with people that were close to her and that she liked being with, and she was also allowing space for her grief. But this time when she was visiting her late husband's mum, and mentioned how much she missed him, his own mother 
told her that she was stuck in grief. Like so many others who get told this, she felt judged and grief-shamed. And this is when people start to actually question, well, am I stuck? Am I grieving wrong? So, John, I'm going to steal one of your lines, and that is consider the source. So who is telling you you're stuck? Is it coming from someone who has had no experience with grief? Is it coming from someone whose grief looks very, very different to yours, as in my example with my client? Is it coming from someone who is comparing a totally different type of loss? Is it coming from someone who genuinely does care about you? Or is it something that you're feeling within yourself and know that maybe it is time to act on? The thing is, You know your grief better than anyone else. Others will only see a snapshot of your day. So before you take their opinions on board, consider the source. Thank you for listening to the My Person Died To podcast. For full information on our books, coaching services and other offerings, visit our websites carolyngowercoaching.com.au and johnpolocoaching.com. Remember to rate, review and subscribe. And if you found this podcast helpful, please spread the word so that we're able to support more people through grief.